Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinas. Makalua. The man team. Mega Bears fan. And welcome, everybody. We're all back together again. This is episode 350, holy crap, of Polycast. And we've got our good old regular people here, like me, Canis, Abinus, and then we have Makalua. I, I too, also looked at 350 and went, whoa. Me and team. After Thanksgiving, and I'm thankful for all your cities. <laughs> and Mega Bears fan. No turkey shall be safe. We have our big family get together tomorrow. So. Oh. I have not I have not partaked of the good turkey yet, just the cheap turkey. I'm more fond I, of ham. I'm sorry, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to uh, change your opinion. <laughs> I, I didn't realize we had a heretic among us, but that's okay, I guess. Ham is fine, just not on Thanksgiving. <laughs> we usually have both, but that's, you know, whatever. Yeah. I better not tell Candace about the fact that we actually had chicken this year. Chicken's not so bad. Console strategy fans, rejoice, the few of you who are out there. Civilization is now once again on consoles. For the first time since Civ 2 on the PlayStation, you can now enjoy Civilization 6, full Civilization game, not Civ Revolution, on any of the major consoles. Yep, with all the DLC stuff, or the Switch even. I saw that sale go up the other day and I was like, ooh. It's definitely worth it. Has anyone heard of it? Multiplayer does work, but I do not think it's cross-compatible with Steam. Oh, that's unfortunate. Ooh. I mean, if Rocket League can do it, why can't Civ do it? That is a good question. I would have imagined it has something to do with Lazy. But it might also be Aspire, because Aspire is not exactly the most... Uh, what, what would you call it? The most um, able-bodied software developer? Burn. <laughs> They're like the one studio where all the developers can like bench press 250 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it is Aspire. Like what you say? <laughs> Aspire was the one who, back in the days of Civ Four, said that Beyond the Beyond the Sword was too hard to to port because the code was too bad. Meanwhile, yeah. those of us who oh, looked snap. at the code and thought, "Well, it's not perfect, but it's not terrible." I got what you're going for. Just the idea of able-bodied in particular regarding developers gives me some nice uh, mental imagery. Able-minded, then. Or, yeah, let's, I guess that works a little better. And I'm not trying to be critical. It's just an amusing thought. <laughs> I don't know. It's It's been too brief a time for me to know exactly what the sales numbers have been. And that also could be because I was oh, I was off my ball this week because I was at business meetings. And I don't actually know if we know the Civilization 6 console sales. And if I very carefully type this into Google while... I speak in a potentially slow voice. I might get numbers. Nope. All we get is a Polygon article that says it's too expensive. (sighs) Polygon's not wrong. Thanks, Google. Ultimately, the market decides that, even though I don't like some of the practice. That's true. The Switch version did sell, you know, well enough for them to be like, oh, let's put this on other consoles. I don't I don't know if the other consoles are a direct response to that. But I'm pretty sure that the DLCs were. Well, in any case, the Switch version did not sell so poorly that they, you know, canceled any plans to put it on consoles. That's true. Yep, Google gives me literally nothing useful. So, that's annoying. Yeah, I wouldn't expect to see numbers for that anytime soon. And, I would... uh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, and it's not on Steam, so it's not like we can just go onto Steam and look up how many people are playing it, like, right now or ever. Steam Spy doesn't work with consoles. Has anybody played it other than those of us who've played it on the Switch and, you know, as it's the same version? Except I assume without uh, touchscreen support, because I think the Switch version has touchscreen support, doesn't it? 
I think so, but not a lot, because the Switch doesn't really use its touchscreen that well. I've been PC Master Race for, like, years. Like, for instance, I've been playing Pokemon Shield a lot since it came out. Yes, I know, shame on me for buying an inferior product, but hey, I like it. It's, um... It's touchscreen enabled, but it's definitely not designed to use it well. So... I feel like the Switch just isn't like it's not this it's not the 3DS. They don't make extensive use of the touchscreen. In fact, there's an option. There ha- there's an option to turn it off completely. So, well, that's just good practice in general to turn something like that off just in case you like touch screen accidentally or whatever. Very but true. it does mean <clears throat> it does mean that the uh, game designers themselves are kind of limited in what they can do because they have to design their games with the consideration that any given user might not use the touchscreen at all. So any features that they decide to make touchscreen compatible also has to support the touchscreen not being on. So, well, I don't imagine that's much of a problem since we use the entire um, PC base rarely has a touchscreen. So. Oh, by the way, if you're hearing an echo in the background, we're sorry. We're going to get that fixed next time. Okay. Technical difficulties. And it's we'd rather. On, huh? Yeah, it's still still going, but we we I've got it turned down low enough that it's not that big a deal. And um, well, we'd rather produce a show that has a little bit of a flaw than a show that doesn't exist. A show that you'd have to wait another hour for, or something. Or another week. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure we can't just go out and buy a new headset right now. Not fast enough. Not unless you want to get trampled by people still trying to shop for holiday deals. I heard it wasn't that big a deal this year. We were out yesterday, and uh, it was like just a regular weekend at all the places we went to. And we were at Costco, so... Hmm. I think I like it better that way. Yeah, I guess most people do it online. No, everybody's waiting to swamp servers on Cyber Monday. I don't know, I bought something yesterday. Yeah, I got myself a new phone to replace the one that I had previously dropped and which insurance wouldn't fix because insurance said it was the service provider's responsibility and the service provider said it was the insurance company's responsibility and neither one of them would do jack squat. So the moral of the story is do not buy insurance on your phone. It's a scam. I bought a new monitor, which means I now have five monitors, but the problem is two of them are so old that they don't work. So what can I say? So you have three monitors going at the same time? Yes, I do, and it very is very helpful when I'm trying to to manage the stream Steam stuff and the website stuff and the chat stuff. Even though chat nice. is pretty dead nowadays, but um, what I had I had a three screen setup at my uh, at work at my last job. It's uh it's nice. I only have two screens at home, so boo. I bought a forty dollar thing where I'm going to try to put the the two extra screens that I'm going to have after the new one comes. See if I can just put them up on top, and so I have a five-screen setup. I know. Weird, weird right? Wow. <laughs> Actually, that sounds kind of fun. <laughs> it does. I just don't think I would have the field of view for it. Might I like having a screen like... vertical, too, because it makes uh, viewing websites real easy. That you would be a great. Whole lot. I wish I had thought of that when I had only four, but now I have five, which means I'm going to have like the, the tripod set up. But right, this is completely off-topic. <laughs> Back to um, Civ. I wonder what Civ looks like in f- on five monitors. Well, if you have them spaced out the right way, you could make it do that. I mean, I've seen things where people do the three screen thing and split it really long across three monitors. Yeah, I imagine that. I'm sure there's ways to do that because Nvidia is pretty good at that kind of stuff. Anyway, well, Candace, you'll have to take a picture of it and post it on the forum so we can talk about how great Civ on five screens is in two weeks. Or something like that. Eat your hearts out, console players. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just feeling like, like uh, Phoenix Wright, or just scream, take that. But that might be a weird reference for some people. Phoenix Wright is a courtroom drama game, and you're trying to beat your opponents by using evidence in the court of law. And yelling objection a lot, from what I've seen. Yes, that is that is a meme in and of itself. There are machines that let you generate your own objections but anyway it's kind of like um, the law version of trauma center uh, in terms of accuracy but it can be fun i'm not sure they aren't made by the same company oh uh, that wouldn't surprise me actually <laughs> somebody over top over the top stuff would uh does have that feel to it oh but if i type trauma center into google it just tells me the nearest 
hospital. So we'll deal with that later. <laughs> yeah. Why does my local hospital have a 2.7 star rating? Uh, that's a little scary. I was going to say it's a good thing that that's what comes up first, considering, but yeah. I don't know about the rating. Anyway, let's go back to Civ topics with our next yes. topic. Well, they... <clears throat> Who did this? Polygon. Hey, we're back to Polygon. Rated the greatest video game characters of the past decade. And Catherine de Medici is on there. I mean, this is along with, like, characters from uh, The Last of Us and Nathan Drake and Shepard from the Mass Effect series and Catherine de Medici. And Batman like and Joker from Arkham. It's just like each person picked a favorite, it seems like. I'm just still, I'm just still trying to figure out that kind of a list thing people are picking, but yeah, but did you just pick got, that because like, everybody else picked what you wanted to pick? Or They've got like the goose from the goose game and stuff in here, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't see that one. Also, I don't think these would top a vote list, but they, these are interesting picks all the same. Also, yeah. Batman and Joker from the Arkham series, which arguably is the best depiction of those two characters in media. Oh, I see that. It's just like of all the leaders you'd pick out of Civ, Catherine. Like, I can understand their reasoning for it because Catherine is pretty unique among Civ leaders because she's new this generation, so she counts as a new character this decade, and she's very posh. And very uppity, but you still get to beat the snot out of her. <laughs> and there's a lot yeah, of people... Always... Yeah, go ahead. She's always going on about, oh, you don't know the levels of games being played here. You know, they should, like, stay in your lane. You peasant. Also, when you declare war on her, she switches from French into very angry Italian. <laughs> I had not noticed that. That's I a... hadn't noticed that either. Yeah. That's great. Um, which makes a lot of sense, considering that she's a de Medici, but... Or de Medici... Yeah, I think that's closer. It's been, expert it's been a long time since I took Italian in college, but uh, yeah. There were some people complaining, why is it Catherine instead of somebody like Catherine of Russia or something? And I just want to say, guys, relax. Because when, when I was reading the, the Syphonatics thread about this, I was a little bit uh, upset by the way people are like, oh, well, she's not even that great a leader. She's not French. She doesn't matter. Nobody remembers her. She was just a uncrowned regent. She's also the mother of freaking France. So, like... France remembers her even if you guys don't. Yeah, uh, I don't know who you are in America to be thinking about why she's less important to France than, say, Eleanor Roosevelt would be to America. But, you know, not a lot of people remember her, but a lot of people remember de' Medici, so... I'm sorry. There's some interesting picks. Yeah, I'm scrolling down through. This is like, yeah, they got they got Madeline from Celeste. All right, it's not not too bad. Then like Mom from Binding of Isaac. Come on now. <laughs> that is a pretty powerful enemy, though. In terms it's a of powerful enemy, but like, there's not much characterization going on. E even if you dig into the lore pretty deep, you only have a few things to go on. It doesn't matter though, because you identify with the entirety of. Her of, like, a mother who is evil, who knows all of your deepest, deepest, darkest secrets, and knows how to get to you just the hardest way it possibly can, and is still going after you, even after you've already beat her once, and you've crawled inside her uterus. I mean, let's not yeah. worry about that imagery too much, but, you know... <sighs> just after that is Monica from the Literature Club game. That's, uh... Amazing. Yeah. I mean, we'll ignore Kratos from Thank God of man. War, and... Laura Croft from the new Tomb Raiders. I, I like Pagan Man. He was amusing. Because <laughs> yeah, I've only seen playthroughs on that game, but yes. <laughs> I can see why you pick him as on that one. I almost prefer a list like this, like ranking uh, like a top 10 or something, because you see a lot of interesting choices. That stands from Undertale, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm less of a fan of top 10 lists than I am a fan of, hey, this is all the people we think are interesting. Yeah. There are a lot of interesting uh, characters mm -hmm. on this list. Okay, From and all my, kinds of genres too. My biggest complaint is why is Hornet not on here? Oh, well, I guess not. Someone here didn't play Hornet. I mean, Hornet is the most compelling character. That's why she's getting her own game. That's true. Although that's not coming out this decade, so you have, you'd have to go with her in Hollow Knight. I'm sorry, the decade ends in 2020. The new decade starts the in 2021. 2020 for sure. Pretty sure that we're pretty sure that's when it's coming out. Okay. I can't imagine them having announced it already and then releasing it in two years, but Man. then again, it was a late Kickstarter, so who knows? But I guess my uh, my overarching feeling on this is 
Thank goodness at least somebody from Civ made it into this list, because, <laughs> I mean, Civ is still a very important game franchise, even if it's not super popular. So, a little bit of recognition is always nice. Dan, we're around, it should be Civ Five Shaka. But he, that's not a new <laughs> Just character, Just because though. you bribed him that one time. Yeah. I thought that was Chris. Yeah, no, I, I, was, I, I was around for that, but I did not do the uh, legend myself that time. That time, see? <laughs> Yeah, well, that, most of my biggest shenanigans are from the Civ Four days, but I, yeah, sometimes that but game that became a turncast special. Yeah, okay, I think that wraps up our news segment, which means it's time for me to pull out the the audio cues. I am going to find a way to redo these audio cues in such a way that all I have to do is type like three letters into the thing, and it'll just automatically go. That way, I won't have to worry about waiting for this garbage to finally start. Too smart by half, and Civ 6. If only this wasn't a threat about the AI, but okay. Uh, this is by Ben V. Pretty disappointed. Played Civ 1 up to 4, then stopped uh, for it, and then see. He's uh, frustrated by uh, the AI messing with science victory with partisans and such. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like the AI is pretty bad, and trying to interrupt a spaceship victory with any means necessary is a reasonable move. Yeah, I'm still of the opinion that AI should try to win and would should also declare on the player and do more than just partisans, if possible. Interesting, further down on the thread, you have a few people commenting that, like, wait, partisans? Because <laughs> not too many people build neighborhoods. Yeah. And for a long so time, uh, the, the AIs wouldn't build them at all, so that was something that you could never do against them. Yeah. And it would be nice if the game were tuned a little bit such that neighborhoods were a good investment more frequently. Because it's one of those things where... You, <laughs> They're not used that often, from what I can tell. And that's unfortunate, because growing huge cities is part of the fun of Civ, especially if you take them from other people. And then also capturing huge cities is fun. So it'd be nice if the neighborhoods had a bit more of a place. But that aside, yeah, and partisans and, and espionage in general, in games in general, can be annoying. And Civ is no exception. It reminded so, me a lot I of... I mostly like the spies in Civ 6 overall. It's just being the target of them is about as fun as it always is. There's not much you can do about that. It reminded uh, me... Go ahead. Okay, no, go ahead. I was going to say, it reminded me a lot of how you're always saying, I don't like how you can defend cities with no units. Like, if you yeah. had units near your near your cities, there would be no real issue with them unless you're behind in tech. And even then, you still have a pretty good chance of not getting wrecked by them. Yeah, they're more annoying than they are really threatening. Yeah. But if you if you get three of them right next to a, a fully developed city and there are no units nearby, you're going to be feeling the hurt because you need units to protect stuff. That's true. But how often do you get like viable siege units amongst partisans and late game cities have walls? Like even if you never built walls. Well, the problem well, they is they run around pillage, and pillage. District. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's a district, you know, if the three of them spawn and they pillage three districts, that's pretty nasty because they take forever to repair. Yeah, it's going to slow you down a lot. And you also have to kill them, and usually they're current tech. So if you only have, what, what what would you have? If you only have ancient walls, you're going to have trouble with that too. But yeah, that does go back to the to the point of if you have something you care about, you can, you can station a couple of units on slash near it, and then no matter what they do with partisans, they're not going to be able to pillage that because you have a unit on it. Yeah, my, my pretty standard practice throughout uh, the games is to have ranged units on all my border cities and then have uh, mounted units in like my capital and all of my like inner core cities so that if anything like that happens, I can quickly mobilize units to wherever they need to be. I also like stationing, as long as there is some space between me and the AI, I like stationing like a random no maintenance unit between me and them. Because the AI doesn't do any sneaky, sneaky, uh, like wider... <laughs> approaches or anything so you'll always see it coming several turns in advance as long as you have something that can see in the vicinity now it gives you time to, to shuffle units around but yeah range units in cities is nice and i also like fortified um, melee on defensive terrain that makes it more difficult to surround the city because they'll, they'll inflict zone of control and uh, the ai will attack it and if you can prevent the ai from getting like three angles on that melee unit it'll basically never be able to kill it unless it's ahead of you in tech 
I found air units can also be nice against uh, partisans. If you just keep like a few fighters in your territory on a intercept oh, missions, yeah. and then maybe like a bomber or two, like that'll usually take pretty good care of them as well. As long as you've got some other ground unit to like you know apply zone of control and stuff like that to keep them from spreading out and running away and wreaking havoc. It's about one step away from Emu War territory and Hearts of Iron. <laughs> yeah, just nuke them, lol. <laughs> nuke our own territory. Well, the yes, most annoying sure. achievements in that game. The big thing I liked about this was it's clearly for those of for those people who responded as opposed to the developer or to the original poster. It's very clearly a joke thread because the second thread uh, the second post says, "How is it even possible to lose to lose to a normal level Civ AI?" <laughs> and on Civ fanatics, that's probably not that common for the average player to lose to that. I have done it before a lot. But I'm also not a hardcore player. I'm just a hardcore fan. So, I mean, that could just be uh, that could just be a, a, po- a crap post. Well, it's de- it's definitely that because he never came back to it. It was a, it was yeah. it's his second post in eleven years on the forum. Because if you looked, he joined in two thousand eight. Oh yeah, he posted wow. twice. <laughs> yeah, it was a hit and run basically. I mean, to be fair, I've only posted what forty times, and I've been on the sh- on the site for a long time, although under two names. But I've only posted a few times too. So and only the joke is I got banned because I lost that old email or something. I do want to say though that that I do feel like the counter spying in Civ Six in particular is disappointingly underdeveloped. Like it would be nice if there were you know buildings like police stations and stuff like that that you could build in some of your you know more vulnerable or uh, you know, higher important cities so that you don't have to defend with your own spies. Because one of the frustrations that I run into with the spying in Civ 6 is all my spies are defending my cities, and I never actually get to use them for any of the things that I want to use them for. So it, it would be maybe nice to have some espionage or counter spying infrastructure that you could build that would free up your spies to go out and do other things. Because you've got, you know, how many other civs, like six, seven, eight civs, uh, depending on the map size and all that stuff you know maybe just one or two uh if you're playing on a smaller map uh all of them sending spies against you right so you know you've got to keep a lot of and they and they do do a good job of sending spies to a lot of your different cities like it's not like civ 5 where i feel like every time a spy attacked me it was in my capital like spies in civ 6 will target other cities besides your capital so you have to have multiple spies in multiple cities defending in order to you know not have stuff like this happen yeah. One of the things that was suggested in the thread was make it so that cities with high um, amenity satisfaction are harder to infiltrate. Like, if you have an ecstatic city, it should be harder to infiltrate than a cranky city or something. Yeah, it think Having things like, you know, maybe that could be another use for walls, right? I don't know. Maybe your walls prevent spies from getting in. So there's, you know, you know, stuff, stuff like that as well could maybe help. But uh, I mean, the the even if we're going to look at this as a joke, I do think the original poster does make a good point that there isn't much in the way of counter spy uh, or counter play for spies in Civ Six, especially compared to previous games that did have buildings like police stations. And Civ Four had like a whole line of espionage and anti espionage buildings that you could build in cities. And Civ Six has nothing. Oh, man, SP- those Civ Four buildings made it like completely impractical to even use spies. <laughs> Yeah, one extreme to the other, I guess, right? Yeah, so it goes. But hey, you I mean, can I, still win a culture victory really early with spies, so... Yeah, that's true. I, and, and I do want to say that I, I, one of my favorite things about the espionage mechanic in Civ Six compared to Civ Five is I like that you actually have to build your spies and invest in your espionage rather than them just being given to you for free every time you enter a new era. So I, I like that it's actually an investment that you have to make. So there's, you know, strategy associated with using it. So if you don't have any spies of your own and you're getting hit with spies, well, yeah, that's your own damn fault. But like I said, it, it would be nice if there were other things that you could do to counter spies other than having to have your own spies. Maybe as far as the partisans, just not make them heavy cav units that spawn. Because when you get three modern armors, uh, that's kind of a lot of value for a not a lot of cost. That is true. <laughs> yeah. Three GDRs. Go. <laughs> and it's nice oh, to know that. Partisans getting oh, these? God. Barbie, barbarian GDRs. Yeah. And it's nice to know that, you know, all of my cities are just leaving tanks, just sitting around unattended so that just random people 
you know, who are dissatisfied with the government can just hijack them and <laughs> ransack the countryside. To be fair, we do have a tank right outside the building about half a mile from where I'm sitting right now. To be fair, it's probably not something you can actually climb in and drive away, but wouldn't take much. But then again, this wow. is America, so, you know, rural America at that. Yeah, I mean, there is that uh, that dirt lot, like, somewhere in Arizona or New Mexico, where there's, like, all of the unused tanks that Congress keeps, you know, appropriating for the military to build, and then the military never actually uses them because we already have way too many tanks. So, eh, I mean, that I stuff does the, exist, but... I thought those were the retired ones. My understanding was that the... The, that the way that the government works is if you if you you have to keep uh, uh, asking for like the same amount of money every year. Otherwise, they like cut your funding. So the well, military just asks for tanks that they don't need because they don't want to have their budgets cut and then not be able to get the tanks if they actually do need them. So they just build a bunch of extra tanks and park them somewhere in Arizona or New Mexico. And there's like a whole lot with like hundreds or thousands of tanks that the army actually has no plans of using. That was my understanding. I could be wrong. It could just be hearsay, hearsay but I don't know. I would call that partially true. And to try to avoid the politicast topic, I will basically say uh, baseline budgeting suggests that that is not exactly what would happen but they will ask for extras for replacements if necessary i, I know it's true at like um the collegiate level though sometimes when you know when in terms of budget like if it's not used they get their budget reduced basically yeah <clears throat> they think that you're not using enough of it so you didn't need all that money yeah yeah and so, so there are places that spend just to prevent their budget being cut yeah, I don't know if the military is one of those things because, you know, this country really likes to fund its military. So I can't imagine that the, you know, Congress would just, oh, you didn't, you spent two cents less than you asked for. We're going to cut your funding by half. You it's know, probably still a risk because, like, you're, you're like, that's not the only branch of the military, right? So they, even if they want to just fund the military more, they can find somewhere else to give it. <laughs> That's true. They it's could be like, oh, we're, we're going to give this money to the Air Force to build more uh, F-35s instead of giving it to the Army to build more tanks. Yeah. Or give it to DARPA to research the next super awesome internet technology that will take over and destroy the old internet. Here, DARPA, research the F-36. <sighs> no, please no. You mean they're not already researching <laughs> Skynet? We don't need an F-36 yet. We just got now got the F-35. Yeah, we fund our military a lot. But we also defend, like, 150 countries, so we kind of have an obligation at this point. I think I looked at a map once to see uh, if these countries are declared war on, which ones would the U.S. defend and which ones would they not? And it was well over a third to two-thirds of the globe were defended by the U.S. So, like, all of Southeast Asia that isn't, like, on the mainland, like, all of Europe large part of africa india a lot of islands yeah pretty much the entirety basically, of the new new of the americas yeah basically not russia and china <laughs> defend everybody else some middle eastern countries as well we don't defend but true oh yeah we wouldn't defend Iran. Yeah, it's it's a lot harder to be upset about them spending a lot of money on it when you realize that they are obligated by treaty or we because i am american they are obligated by treaty to Hey, uh, if you guys get attacked, we're going to defend you because we're in all these bilateral trade agreements. So, yeah, it's a lot easier to be be thankful for a strong military when you have to defend a large chunk of the world. But that's beyond the scope of this show. So now we get to talk about, is this my topic? I believe so. Competition ending, uh, specifically the the topic in discussion here was the uh, was it Nobel Prize in Literature? Which, in a game which was played on the PlayStation, if nobody noticed from the screenshots, um, they talked about how they did a counter and Trajan won the competition according to the, the splash because it said zero turns remaining, you are in second place. And then the next turn it said that he was still winning. And then the next turn, which was the turn after the announcement, suddenly it was... The player who was in ahead by six points, even though the the actual contest ended two turns ago, and they're trying to figure out what the heck was going on there. 
Uh, yeah, it does sound odd. I think the eventual conclusion was the a, the UI isn't exactly accurate all the time, which as <laughs> as um, surprise, surprise as as veteran Civ players we should have been well aware of. I do have to say that on the PC version a lot, I have been confused about when uh, some of these uh, World Congress events <clears throat> are actually supposed to end. And it's it's never been entirely clear to me if it's ending like this turn or next turn. So uh, I definitely sympathize with this user. Definitely true. I have I have many times said, hey, why didn't I get the reward? And then I got it the next turn. Hmm. It's, it's very strange because if you look, it says turn 204 competition ends this turn. Turn 205 other player wins. Turn 206. Now you win. Now you- so clearly it was re- <laughs> so apparently not only did it end a turn after it said it would, but the UI said it was going to end the first turn and it didn't end till the end of the second turn. It's it- like I can kind of see where the one turn gap comes from, but the two turn thing is kind of confusing. Well, it's also confusing because usually when the turns are processed, the human turn is processed before the AI turns, which means that in theory on turn 205, all of what the human player should have been able to get should have already been in the list. So when 206 came around, only the AIs were processed after that, and none of the numbers went down, they only went up. So how did how did the player care the player get an extra set of money out of this two turns after the declared end? I forget offhand what it is that you're supposed to do to contribute to the Nobel Prize in Literature is was this one of the ones that it's like you generate great uh, great person points? Yes, great a writer, artist, and musician points. I don't know. This is one of those things that's always very confusing when you end up with situations where the UI isn't really telling you the truth, but at the same time, the game doesn't actually seem to be working the way it's supposed to. I mean, <laughs> you shouldn't have two winners like that. It definitely shouldn't lie about like when stuff's yeah. ending and. Yeah. The question is, what in the script for the event borked that it processed it twice? Or yeah. even, even bigger question, why did it award it to somebody and then award it to somebody else the, the next turn, even though the thing had supposedly ended the turn before the first time? I think we're just rehashing the same questions at this point. There's not a lot of answers yeah. in this thread. It's just weird. It's just, it seems like a weird thing that maybe we should point and laugh and say, ha ha, that's funny. I guess it's all you can do, right? The way to avoid this, the way to avoid this is apparently push tourism early. That way you already have that stuff going for you beforehand. You don't have to worry about winning the Nobel Prize because you've already got enough to win. All right. And now for the super fun topic, the one that we've all been waiting for, I think. (laughs) If Discord would let me open the thing and type it in properly. Well, we have an elimination thread on the Civ Fanatics forums. This one was posted by user Kreat, and it is a diplomatic victory elimination thread in which users are expected to vote on which Civ and leader combination is the best or worst at achieving a diplomatic victory. And I guess they chose the diplomatic victory because it's a new one in Civ 6, and I assume they're going to then go on and do the other victories in future threads as well. Right now, the current active one is music. And it looks like the winner for this was Christina of Sweden, followed by Teddy Roosevelt of America and Matthias Corvinus of Hungary, with uh, Tamar and Wilfred Laurier, I guess, taking runner-up prizes. And down at the bottom are, of course, Alexander, Shaka, and Frederick. Well... Though technically know, you can do the di- dip- diplomatic victory by conquering everything else. Yeah, persuasion by force is pretty strong. Definitely true. I don't know why Congo's all the way down there, though. I guess because no religion? Yeah, harder yeah. to make friends that way. Well, d- diplo victory isn't really about winning friends. It's about being a psychic and figuring out who vo- who's going to vote for what. Well, and uh, getting all the points from city-state suzerainty. So making friendships with city-states... I've always felt is more important than making friendships and alliances with the other civs. That does help because you need those for the the favor. But I, if, yeah. if I remember correctly, I think 
declared friendships and alliances do also generate uh, more favor for you each turn. So yes. your friendships and alliances with everybody helps towards the, uh, the uh, diplomatic victory. So if you are suzerain of many city states and allied with multiple, you know, civilizations, you are going to get a lot of diplomatic favor each turn. It is true that you get diplomatic favor, but for the end of the game, you want to break those alliances because once you are giving, because once that you get to the point where you have 15 points or so, they're all going to en masse vote against you, which means that they have more voting power the more favor you give them. Because yeah. every vote costs progressively more, the more you give them, the more votes against you. Right, you're just giving them more votes, and it's uh, at that point it becomes a zero-sum game. Well, it's not even zero-sum, it's a negative take game for you, for the player. Because uh, uh, if, if you have six civilizations that you have allies with, level three alliances, you're giving each one of them three favor a turn... And if all three of them vote against you four times, that's only 100 points each for them. And it's and to counter that, you have to vote 16 votes against them, something like that, which is like thousands of favor. So you go very heavily negative if you're trying to fight that that way. Yeah, I've always uh, been frustrated by and hated the fact that in civilization games, you always at the end of the game have to break your, you know, close uh, friendships and alliances because the game mechanics are designed in such a way that you know those things usually prevent you from actually winning which is why i'm always in favor of there being some kind of like cooperative and shared victory in the game so that multiple civs can actually win the game together and actually legitimately have each other's best interests at heart at the end of the game it does seem like a strange oversight but then again it's civ and civ is a war game and it's always been a war game so yeah, like if you're doing the domination victory, you get to the end of the game where you have like that one or two other civs that have been your, you know, friend and military ally for like the entire game. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, but I've killed everyone else. I have to kill you now, too. Instead of that just being the end of the game, because the only players left in the game are you and your close allies. Uh, nope, you still have to yeah. backstab them. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I really do miss having the, the kind of victory where you could get... <sighs> Oh, Phil knows the type we're talking about. He's going to say vassaling people, but... Where well, you that's what we did. We also had permanent alliances, alliances, but that was limited to only one other person. So you I know, and I wish it could person. be more than one person in an alliance. Bonsa yeah. 4 also had the more, like, generic conquest <coughs> victory, which was just control 60% of the land area and population of the world, which you could do by any means necessary, which means you could still have your very close allies who you don't ever have to backstab. You just have to you know, conquer everyone else, either through military might or, you know, culture flip. They're not treated as winning men. That is true. Your your allies in that case are not treated as winning, but at least it's a, you know, game end where you don't have to backstab and betray your close game long ally. Yeah. This reminds me of Civ Four. You you know you're in big trouble when you ask for peace and they say we'd rather win the game. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I love it. Yeah, that's not a good feel. Like, yeah, I feel yeah that I understood. And yeah, all the victories do suffer from this. The the diplomatic victory becomes very undiplomatic at the uh, <laughs> end of the game. Yes. And, and and part of me wonders if this is like actually some sort of like, you know, like cynical Cynic. political statement that Fraxis is maybe deliberately making, but I, I don't think that's actually the case. But like it, it could be that they're just saying that, you know, eventually everything's gonna break down to petty politics and that's like the inevitable outcome. I really hope they're not that cynical. I don't think they, they've thought out that out that far. Yeah, but that's, yeah, that that's is kind of the message that it sends is, is yeah, you can be close friends, but eventually you're, you're just going to turn into, you know, petty teenagers and just be gossiping behind each other's backs all the time. That's the Dominion's approach. It's fine. Well, it's okay to be, to be petty teenagers and gossiping behind each other's backs as long as, you know, when when the when the proverbial manure hits the air cooling device, you stand beside each other. Because I know, <laughs> like, if you've got siblings, you tease your kids, your siblings when you're kids. But somebody comes after them, you stand up and you protect them because that's what happens. Yeah. But not in Civ. Well, in Civ, so- it's it's a zero sum game. That's the problem. Right. Yes. It's not an accurate representation of the world because. In the real world, whenever there's economic growth, it's never a zero-sum game, so... Right, and yeah, it extends to the other victories, too. Like, you know, you've got the science victory, like, uh, you know, why can't my 
super close ally who's also technologically advanced contribute to building a joint spaceship project and, you know, colonizing Mars together? Why does it have to be just one nation or the other? Yeah, because you look in the real world, if we're going to do this kind of project, we are going to have to do it as an international thing. Yeah, I would like to think so. Yeah, I would like to think that if like the UK was going to, you know, send a manned mission to Mars, that the United States would not, you know, bomb their spaceport. Stop them from doing it. <laughs> I don't know these days. I can't, oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine the US ever bombing UK. But then again, there are other things that we can't imagine that happen, so I mean as far as as far as I know, like the United States isn't doing much, if anything, to like hinder the Chinese from sending stuff to the moon. So I mean yeah, they, there probably is there stuff. Too. Yeah, there's yeah, there's there, like there six is... or seven countries trying to get to the moon right now. So. Yeah, well, and China's actually actively sending stuff right right now. Like, I think they, what, last year or the year before had a, a probe on the dark side of the moon or something like that? Well, yes, but also remember that Israel sent something to the moon this year, too. It didn't actually land, but they sent it. It got there. Yeah, it definitely got there, but it didn't land right. Oh, so it did land. It just didn't land properly. Well, it didn't. It did. I, we don't know if it landed because we're not exactly sure if it hit, yeah, they, hit the moon or they not. they lost contact, I think. Uh, they yeah, lost contact with it. Okay. So who knows? Maybe it's up there and it's doing the best science ever and it just can't it tell us. We'll it's doing find all it. the best science, but it can't phone home. And we'll find it in 2500 and it will have combined with some alien intelligence and uh-huh. be named V'ger. Well, not that, because I thought it was named V'ger, but yeah. I get where you're going. But back to the list. Do we have anybody on this list that we think, in the top ten at least, that we think doesn't belong there? Hmm. Georgia is kind Georgia. of a weird one. Yeah, but if you build walls, she's like your best buddy forever. That is true. But if you're playing as her, then it doesn't matter because if you are Georgia, that bonus is ephemeral. Is that the right word? Yeah, or moot, I guess. Okay. But yeah, you you don't give friendships to the other civs because they meet your, you know, character's agenda. Yeah, you give friendships to civs because you're a human player who wants something. Well, or because they're the only civs who will who are willing to be friends with you. You just do want to be friends with people because the alliances in this game do provide pretty solid benefits. Yes. So I I often do find myself in that situation where it's like, all right, I don't really like this civ and I'm probably going to be in conflict with them sooner or later. But they're the only civ that doesn't have a red grumpy face next to the leader. (laughs) So I'm going to just try declaring friendship and making an alliance with them because I would really like the favor and someone to send trade routes to. But yeah, my impression with Georgia has always been that they're not particularly good at anything. So I'm surprised to see them near the top of any list. Yeah, I guess I'm also kind of surprised Canada's not higher. Since without, I mean, they're immune to the surprise war and can't declare surprise war, so you're less likely to pile up grievances against everyone. I think that would make it a little easier, but... hmm? Yeah, I I definitely think Canada should at the very least be above Georgia, because Canada actually has uniques and abilities that give you, you know, diplomatic favor. Like, I think they also get, like, double favor from winning competitions. So I I would almost maybe think they would maybe should be above Hungary as well. Yeah, Hungary, I actually am kind of... I mean, I have not played Hungary enough, but it's like... Well, uh, because the way that the way that Hungary works is you you get uh, if I remember correctly you get, you can basically buy uh, envoys with the city states. But the thing is, yes. you only do that when you levy their units, which means you're already their suzerain. So buying the envoys doesn't allow you to become suzerain and therefore get more diplomatic favor from that city state. It just basically gives you an added buffer to prevent other civs from flipping them. So it, it's kind of Uh, it could be helpful because it gives you that buffer, but it's not like directly giving you more diplomatic favor. Whereas Canada, you get double favor from, you know, competitions. So, you know, I I feel like Canada should maybe be at three and Hungary should maybe be at four and Georgia, if they deserve to be that high at all, should be at five. Yeah. Cause my problem there was, I think of Hungary as more of a warring civ and something, but I hadn't thought about long-term you've got easy access to being suzerain, and then you could have a bunch of city states giving you all the diplomatic favor, right? Yeah, and you can re- and you really lock down those that suzerainty because, like I said, you you can literally just buy the extra envoys at that point, and uh, it's very hard for anybody to catch up. Anybody and at the bottom that should be higher? I- 
think. Oh, shoot. I lost it. Ah, stupid computer. Come back. Yeah, Victoria's way down at the bottom. I would probably rank Poundmaker a little higher, but for me personally, that would be just because of playstyle and not necessarily because of the Civs or leaders' powers. It's just that they, you know, really do encourage a playstyle that I think is, uh, you know, favorable towards a diplomatic victory. I think the reasoning behind some of these decisions is a little bit um, flawed, but it is an elimination thread, which means about 15 people make the decisions and the rest just put in a few words. Yeah, it tends to be. have give you some odd results in the elimination thread in general. I think we can all agree that no matter who you're playing as, if you, if Sweden is, you want Sweden in your game if you are going for a Diplo victory because of the, the Nobel Prize stuff. Yes, we want, we want more competition to three diplomatic points. Yes. Although I don't know what the reasoning behind Georgia is. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still trying to wrap my head around why Georgia. Just, Has anybody tried skimming through the actual replies and seeing who the heck voted for Georgia and what their reasoning was? Yeah, that's what I was doing when I lost everything. Yeah, I haven't seen anything either, so I don't know where that came from. Yeah, we're, we're certainly very well prepared for this show. Um... <laughs> I blame Turkey. I blame being out of town. I don't know. It could be as simple as there weren't a lot of bad points against her, so she kind of floated to the top. Apparently it's religion-based. No one voted against her, so she just ended up in fifth place by default. People forgot she existed, so they didn't vote her off. Yeah, but again, I don't recall her being, like, that great at religion either. Like, she had, like, a few little buffs, but I feel like, you know, civs like Russia are probably stronger in religion. So, I don't know. I went back too far. They're talking about Greece. Hmm. I don't know. I think the list is pretty good, actually. There's not, a lot, this- there's not a lot here that I would o- openly disagree with. Yeah, most of this is making sense. You know, you see the, the civs you normally see going to war towards the bottom because they're just going to go conquer everybody and tick everyone off. The ones that tend to, not necessarily peaceful, but less aggressive or going towards the top. It's not that you can't be aggressive with Coupe, but it's also easy to make friends, too. So, I guess I personally don't like seeing Sweden on top of America because I like America to mi- maybe actually win one of these at some point. But, you know, America <laughs> is kind of an awful Civ in Civilization by default, so... It, it's been at its best in Civ 6, I would argue. Yes. You can yes. make a case for 5, I guess, but I think 6, it's better in 6 than it was in 5. Okay, I opened up the strategy guide that I had written earlier this year for uh, Tamar and Georgia uh, to and skimmed through it. And I think I found why people are voting for it. It's because she gets double envoys when she sends them to city-states that are already her majority religion. Ah, that would do it. So yes, you do get faster uh, envoys, or do get more envoys. So if you do get a strong religion game, then yes, you... Uh, will definitely be suzerainning uh, quite a number of city-states, assuming that other civs aren't in the game that, you know, are going to neutralize it. Also, I did not know that you did these. Maybe I have some <laughs> topics now. Oh, yes. Candace forgot. I don't this is even, where we got him. I, don't, I did not remember that. Like, usually I expect people who are doing stuff like that to remind me that, that, that they're doing that, but I guess I should have been more aware. Than again. I, I just... I feel awkward, like, you know, trying to push it. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, this is why I, I assume this is why Dan wanted you on the show was because you were willing to do that kind of work. So, but yes, shameless self-promotion, uh, megabearsfan.net. I do write civilization strategy guides for any listeners uh, or fellow co-hosts who uh, <laughs> weren't aware. Uh, the most recent one was. Uh, it's actually been a few months. I think I did. Uh, Hungary was the most recent one, and I am actually currently working on Phoenicia. Well, to be fair, the last time we recorded Polycast, I was at a business meeting giving a speech to a bunch of far- fairly old, wealthy businessmen. So, uh, I don't know. I was so a little bit off. Buy my- Please, buy my stuff. I, I, I'm a good business person, I swear. I don't forget everything. I, I mean, um, what, what's today? <laughs> yeah the greases are good cleopatra surprises me yeah yeah i was looking at that too and i, I but i can't put my finger on why i'm surprised it's just the she, 
she has the bonus that I think you get food for sending trade routes to her. So I, I think on the merit of she encourages other players to be friendly towards her and to send trade routes with her, I guess she's probably more likely to get friends and allies, uh, especially when you're playing with other human players who know they're mm. going to get those bonuses, because I, I don't think the AI actually recognizes that and takes that into consideration when they choose whether or not they want to dislike her or send trade routes to her. I'm not sure. All I know is it's a pretty good list. Yeah, this is not like some of the other lists where we're sitting here with our mouths and going, what? Is this what's happening on some of the elimination ones? It's like, uh, wait, this guy there and that guy there and what are you guys doing? Yeah. Anybody else have anything to say about this or should we move on to the the penultimate moment? Okay, then. Penultimate? Why does it have to be penultimate? Oh, I needed to. All right, everyone, get out. <laughs> okay, imagine. <laughs> I gotta bring back that now and then. Okay, so thank you for joining us on episode 350 of Podcast. I've been the main team, and as usual, joined by regular co-host Canis Albinus. At some point, I will remember that maybe it was a good idea to change the box. Uh, I just lost my train of thought halfway through that and then had to improvise. Perfect. Makalua? Uh, I'm going to require coffee as a boarding pass for this, my train of thought. Thanks. Coffee would also be perfect. And Mega Bears fan. All right. I guess it's leftovers for lunch. It's not so bad. I don't have leftovers. We haven't had our turkey yet. Canis, go get your turkey so you can have leftovers for lunch. We're having it tomorrow. Uh, well, we don't have a time machine. Sorry. I'm sure I'll survive. It would be nice to have a time machine, though. The problem with a time machine is if you accidentally screw something up, you end up in Dino Land or something, and you're like, oh, well, how do I fix this? Oh, I thought if you screwed something up, you became your own grandfather or something. That would be... be Not all of us are fry. I'd be content to just go back, like, a week, you know, and, uh, you know, maybe uh, change some of my football bets. <laughs> oh, that's true. You could make a lot of money if you could go back in time consistently. Yeah, even just a week and you could be rich. For sure. Bet on the Cowboys losing. No way you should do that anyway. Well, I did do that. My mistake was I, I bet on the Bears and the under and the Bears missed covering the spread by half a point. Oh. Ow. As an Eagles fan, I always want the Cowboys to lose, so. <laughs> well, it's coach drama clock right now, so it's interesting. Everybody's like, oh no, if they lose, Jason Garrett's going to get kicked out. Apparently there was a bunch of yelling, at least, before the press part yesterday or the other day. Civilization 4, 5, Beyond Earth, and 6, Sound Clips, Copyright Take-Two Interactive. Copyright the Polycast at thepolycast.net.